wonderful Perjarn to be able to be here for the conference and thank you so much for the wonderful place to stay, the big basket of treats. That was that was really amazing. My wife had a wonderful time going through that. <laughs> I did too. <laughs> and uh, it's been, you've just, uh, you've taken such uh, wonderful care for us and made us feel so welcome here. The, uh, the video, the video you saw there, that was just a couple, the photos were just a couple of the different church plants that have been involved in. So the Lord's done that seven or eight different times now. And every church plant's been unique and different. And it's just amazing to see God get in it. It really is that one there. We spent two or three months looking for a place for the pastor and his family. We knew where God wanted the church to start. Very densely populated area, though, and any time something came up for rent, it was gone real fast. And finally, we found a, there, was a, there was a lady in the house sweeping an empty house. Uh, the pastor went in to investigate, and it was up for rent. So he told him who he was, came there to start a church. She, she was a Christian. And so she was happy to rent and said, you can even use my house if you want to. I don't have all the zoning laws there. So we started services there. Then we spent two or three months looking for a place for the church. You couldn't find anything. And I was talking to a pastor on the phone. He said, well, could you just move a wall or something? So we just, that's all we had to do was move a wall. And, and uh, now there's a beautiful auditorium there. It'll seat seven or 80 people. And God is working in a wonderful way there in that church, and it's just amazing to see the Lord work. And you know, as we look back on it now, it didn't make sense then, but now we can see the fingerprint of our Father on the whole thing, because most of the houses in that area are not any way conducive to any kind of a church service. And that house was uniquely designed, and, and it's amazing how the Lord works, isn't it? Uh, last year, one of our graduates asked me to help him start a new church in a small town in the state of Oaxaca, a very remote part of Mexico, a little town of about 2,000 people, 1,500 years of history, and they had never had a New Testament church, little contact with the gospel. So I was able to go there and spend five weeks with them, and we were able to find a place to meet and get them some pews and a pulpit and some things for the nursery, and, and the Lord got in it, and uh, 10 different families had come out just the little time I was there, and, and good response to the gospel in the community, and he invited me back to preach their first missions conference, and they're already supporting a missionary from Mexico going to Mozambique, Africa. And so it's, it's exciting to see a church with a, already having a vision for world missions. And, and God is just doing some marvelous things there in Mexico. It's because people like you have prayed for Mexico and invested in Mexico over the years that God is working there in such a marvelous way. And so please keep praying for us. It seems like we may be on the verge of something special there. Uh, at least that's, that's our hope anyway. But uh, Mark 14, if we are in our Bibles, let me ask you to stand if we could. And we'll read through verses 3 through 9, okay? And um, I'm not sure what your custom is, but I'll read the, even num- I'll read the odd-numbered verses. Uh, that you, can- you know what? I need to tell you about my wife. I served many years as a single missionary there in Mexico, and, and I was having the time of my life, but... Um, uh, actually, I just I met her last year, and the Lord brought us together, and so we're actually newlyweds. We just got married. I didn't want to be in any hurry, you know. I'm only 60, but uh, she's been worth the wait, you know. When God does something, he does it well, and he does it right, right? Isaac and Rebecca had to wait 20 years to have a child, and 
when the Lord finally gave him a child, he gave him two at the same time, right? So uh, she, she served the Lord for many years as a pastor's wife, and actually the Lord used her to get our children's home started down there many years ago. She had three kids of her own. She was homeschooling one, and her family grew from three to 16 in just a real short period of time, and uh, she did that for five years. And then the Lord called her husband to start a church. That church started three other churches, and, uh, and then her husband was called to go home with the Lord a few years ago. And the Lord brought us together, very highly recommended by Dr. Lise Ramos, the pastor that uh, we're working with down there. And I'm just uh, so excited. She's got such a great heart to serve the Lord and, and just so excited. She seems like the perfect fit for, for this ministry and how the Lord has brought us together. So please pray for us, if you would. Uh, Mark, uh, uh, Mark 14, and uh, we'll read through 3 through 9 here, Okay. Are you ready? And being in Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, as he sat at meat, there came a woman having an alabaster box of ointment of spikenard, very precious, and she broke the box and poured it on his head. You can okay. I'm sorry. You want to read? You want to read the even numbered verses? Okay. All right. You want to try that again? All right. I'll help you with four. Ready? And there were some that had indignation within themselves and said, Why was this waste of the ointment made? For it might have been sold for more than 300 pence and have been given to the poor. And they murmured against her. For you have the poor with you always, and whensoever you will, you may do them good. But me, you have not always. Verily I say unto you, as sure this gospel shall be preached throughout the whole world, this also that she hath done shall be spoken of for a memorial of her. And let's pray. Our Father, thank you so much for Pastor Brown, for this church, and how they want to do something for you and for world missions. And it's such a pleasure to be here, be a part of the conference. And oh, we beg you to help us, Father, this little bit of time that we have together tonight, Father, oh, help us. We don't want to just go through the motions. We beg you for your great mercy, your great presence to be here in us, work in our hearts, in our lives, Father. We beg you for that part of the Holy Spirit to be here, be working in our hearts and lives, and help us in a wonderful way, Father. We could uh, understand this truth and apply it to world missions, and somehow we might be able to connect with you, Father in this little bit of time that we have. Help those that are working with the children in a marvelous way, work in their lives in a great way. Please have mercy and help us all. And we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Well, you may be seated. This is one of my very favorite portions of the scripture here. Uh, This lady, I I think it was Mary. Some people think it was a separate incident. But this this lady here uh, comes to the Lord Jesus and... and, uh, and she anoints his body before the bearing. She breaks an alabaster box of ointment on his head. And there's just so many wonderful truths and principles here. And no doubt the whole house was just filled and permeated with the fragrance of this beautiful aroma, this perfume. And probably the whole area around the house was totally permeated with this beautiful aroma. And, and, uh, and then, of course, we have, uh, it, it wasn't just Judas, by the way. It was all the disciples. They began to murmur and complain, if you follow this story. And, uh, and then we see the Lord saying, uh, no, she's, she's, 
she's done the right thing. And, you know, she was one of the few that really understood what was going on here, right? Everybody, even the disciples still didn't get it. They didn't really understand, but she understood, and, and uh, she makes a sacrifice here. And then verse 9, I have always found this verse so curious. It says here, Verily I say unto you, wheresoever this gospel shall be preached throughout the whole world, this also that she had done shall be spoken of for memorial of her. And, uh, you know, uh, I've gone soul winning, went soul winning today and do a lot of soul winning down there in our new church plants. And I don't think I've ever shared this verse with anybody uh, any time. And I've gone soul winning, a lot of great soul winners. I don't think I've ever heard anybody else take this verse and share it while we're trying to win somebody to Christ. But the Lord Jesus is drawing our attention to something here in this verse. And he's saying, wherever this gospel shall be preached throughout the whole world. He's telling us there's something intrinsic here in this event that is the real key to world missions, isn't he? He's talking about the gospel being preached throughout the whole world, and he's drawing our attention to this event here. So what is it, that, what is it then in this particular event that the Lord is drawing our attention to as we consider world missions here tonight? What is it here in this event that he's trying to, to, to tell us about? Well, uh, obviously this alabaster box had, had great value. Verse number five said it might have been sold for more than 300 pence and have been given to the poor. 300 pence. Now, a day's wage back in those days was one pence, okay? So 300 pence would have been the equivalent of 300 days' wages, okay? If you work uh, six days a week in a year's time, you'll, you'll have worked 300 days. So whatever, I don't know what your annual salary would be or what uh, the annual salary of somebody in this area would be, but that was the equivalent of what she gave to the Lord Jesus at this point. She brought this alabaster box on his head and gave this to the Lord Jesus. It's pretty obvious here. There was a lot of this was pure praise and worship and adoration, wasn't it? And, and, and I just love it. I'm so glad that this happened. And, and for the Lord Jesus, before he went to the cross, and, and you know, world missions in that sense is, is a matter of the heart. It's, you know, you might be able to motivate somebody to take the gospel across the street. You might be. But you're not going to motivate anybody to take the gospel to another part of the world, okay? And the truth is, it's easier for us to get involved in taking the gospel to our area, wherever we are, than it is to, take, to get involved and get excited about taking the gospel to some other part of the world, some people we've never met and don't know and will probably never see till we get to heaven. And in that sense, it's really all about loving God, isn't it? Because if we're going to reach the world with the gospel, we're going to have to really be committed to him and loving him and serving him. And, and you know, the truth is, our lives have great value. You know, God loves you so much, he gave his only begotten son to die for you. Uh, God loves you so much, he gave his life on that cross for you and died for you. Our lives have more value than all the money in the world. God loves you so much, your life and all of our lives have great value. Just like this alabaster box had great value, right? But until that box was actually broken, uh, it had no impact. It had no significance. It was just sitting there in the alabaster box without really being used. 
And in that sense, I believe that's kind of the key to this whole, whole, what the Lord's trying to draw our attention to here. You know, our lives have great value, but until our lives are actually broken, until our, we, we have that, we come to the Lord and, and we say, you know, here am I, send me, you know, like Isaiah did so many years ago, uh, the, the theme of the conference. Until we come to the Lord and we say, you know, wherever you want, whatever you want, however you want, I want to do your will for my life. Until we, I think the Lord's drawing our attention to a sense of commitment, a sense of sacrifice. It's going to take all of us working together if we're really going to reach the entire world with the gospel. About 7.8 billion people in our world today, and about 3.2 billion of them have never even heard the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Statistics tell us about 160 people die somewhere in our world every minute. Of those 160 people that die every minute, 137 of them will die and go to hell. And of those 139 people that'll die and go to hell every minute, 127 of them will have never heard the gospel message even one time. And you know, the Lord could have written it in the sky, couldn't he? But he gave it to us. And we have this great privilege and honor and opportunity then of getting the gospel uh, to the entire world. It's obviously an impossible task. But with God, all things are possible. And he still loves to take five loaves and two fishes and do great things with them. And, and, and there's, there's so many wonderful truths here uh, in this portion of Scripture. But let's just go quickly to John 12. And I think we're going to see it again here illustrated for us, this principle here tonight in John 12 and uh, in verse number 24. Verily, verily, I say unto you, except a corn of wheat fall into the ground and die, it abideth alone. But if it die, it bringeth forth much fruit. And of course, he's, this is just before the cross. And he's talking about himself and his death on the cross. But this same principle applies to us tonight as well. If we really want to reach the world with the gospel, we've got to come to that place where we're broken. And we say, I want to do your will. And we have that sense of commitment and sacrifice. And we're willing to, to pay the price, to do whatever it takes, to do our part. And that the entire world can be reached with the gospel. So then, now, if we understand that principle, I believe, which the Lord was Got to be something very important there. Now, if we understand that, let's, let's apply that to world missions, to the Great Commission. We're in John. Let's go over to John 20. And, of course, five times we have the last words of the Lord Jesus recorded for us in the Scriptures. Matthew 28, he says, go and teach all nations. Mark 16, 15, he said, go and preach the gospel to every creature. Luke 24, 47, he said that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name among all nations. And, of course, Acts 1.8, uh, you shall receive power, and the Holy Ghost shall come upon you, shall be witnesses unto me. But I love John 20 here, because in John 20, we really get to see the heart of the Father here. In verse 21, and, and, Then said Jesus to them again, Peace be unto you, as my Father hath sent me, even so send I you. Amazing to think that the Father would be willing to give up his only begotten Son and send him here to earth to die for us so that we could be saved. And now the Lord Jesus, it's amazing to think, he'd be willing to take us and send us to do the very same thing that he did. And he's chosen us then to represent him. And so as we think about getting the gospel to the entire world, uh, I think there are three obvious things, and, and we've probably heard the outline many times, right? Go pray, 
and give. And the truth is, uh, there may be some young people here tonight that God may want to go. The greatest privilege and honor that you could ever have would be to take the gospel somewhere where people know it less than we have it here and preach the gospel to them and help people come to the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior. And it's going to take some sacrifice. It'll take some commitment. It'll take some people willing to break their dreams and their plans and their hopes to make money, being willing to go and take the gospel and live a life of sacrifice and commitment, whether it be in Ukraine or Mexico or Africa or China, wherever it might be. It's going to take some young people that are willing to go and say, here am I, send me. And God is still working and God is still looking for young people that'll be willing to go. I think of Dr. Lee Ramos, you know, uh, he, uh, he, he was on track to become an attorney and he, he could have been a million, millionaire many times over, but he knew that God was calling him to preach the gospel and he surrendered his life to be a missionary in Mexico. And oh, how God has gotten involved in that church there in San Luis Potosi. I don't have time to begin to tell you, but God is working in a marvelous way and God is calling young people in Mexico to start churches and to preach the gospel and Mexico is actually becoming now a sending country where we're sending missionaries all over to other parts of the world because Christians like you have invested in us over the years. God is working there in a, in a marvelous way. But Luis Ramos was willing to, 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 to break his alabaster box of his hopes and his plans and his dreams and his goals to go and to preach the gospel. And you know what? His parents were very much wanting him to become an attorney. And it took his parents being willing as well to be broken and realize God was calling their son to be a missionary and to go and to preach the gospel to Mexico. We're going to need some Christian parents that will realize the greatest privilege and honor your children could ever have would be to serve the Lord full time as a missionary and to take the gospel somewhere. And let's not forget about soul winning, okay? Let's not forget about our Jerusalem. You know, it's easy to get consumed with getting the gospel to the rest of the world, but we all have a responsibility right here for our own area as well. I appreciate so much the ministry of Brother Herbert taking the gospel here. Let's not forget about the United States of America. While we're busy reaching the world, let's not forget to take the gospel right here yet. We need people that'll go. I, I got saved on a Saturday in March of 84, and two Bible college students knocked on my door and uh, led me to Christ, and, and they invited me to go swimming with them that night. There was a Watertown, Wisconsin, big farm country in the middle of two big farm fields, and there was a new junior high school with an indoor heated swimming pool, and I got on a bus with 50 other college students and met a guy named Dave Nelson. And Dave Nelson had been with Dr. Joe Boyd that whole previous summer. He was a great personal soul winner. And he sat with me on the bus and he hung around me at the pool and he sat with me on the way home. And the whole time he kept telling me, God wants you to be a soul winner. God wants you to tell other people how to be saved. Well, I'd never heard that before in my whole life. And he kept on and on and, and, and gave me all the verses. And this is how you use the verses. And here's the prayer you pray and all this. And, 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 Finally, he got done. I thought, thank God that I can go home. <laughs> but, but you know what? The problem was I could get away from Dave Nelson, but I couldn't get away from God. The Holy Spirit was living inside of me, and he kept telling me, you need to listen what that guy was telling you. He was telling you the truth. 
So I got home, I had a Bible on my desk and a little journal there, I'd write things in and began to look up the verses in my Bible, began to write it all out. And before I went to bed that night, the Lord gave me the whole plan of salvation totally in my memory, and I spent a lot of time in prayer that night, and I went to the same church I always went to on Sunday, the First Congregational Church, and there was a guy named Tom Mack locking up the building, 34 years old, just the two of us. And uh, I knew God wanted me to go over there and talk to him, and I was scared to death, I, 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 but I knew I had to do it. So I went over there, and the best I could, uh, and I'm sure I butchered the whole thing and made every stake it was possible to make, but you know, a wonderful thing happened. We have that promise of the power of the Holy Spirit, right? And God got into that thing, and the fellow got under conviction, and he called upon the Lord to save him, and, 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 and the fireworks of God went off in my soul, and if you've never won a soul to Christ, you don't know what you're missing. Do you see, that's what it's really all about. God's given us this great prison honor to take the gospel. He doesn't need eloquence. He doesn't need education. He doesn't need a, a polished plan of salvation. All he needs is you. All he needs is somebody that's willing to go and, and open their mouth. He can still take our five loaves and two fishes and do great things. And, and God wants to use you to get the... I remember the, the two students were, uh, that knocked on my door were filling their class requirement for their personal evangelism class. And their teacher was Ben Peterson. Ben Peterson, of course, won the Olympic gold medal for the United States in the 1972 Olympics and wrestled heavyweight for the United States. And, and I still remember that. He wrestled the Russian right at the height of the Cold War. That was on primetime TV, and that was a big deal when Ben Peterson won the gold medal, the heavyweight wrestling championship of the world. And, and I remember when they gave him that gold medal, and you know how they have, they have uh, the person that wins, and they put the medal around your neck, and they have the American flag raised above the others, and, and then they play our national anthem. And, 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 and Ben Peterson began to cry, and, and chills going up and down his spine, and thinking of all the years and all the labor and blood and sweat and work that he put into that moment. And he, and, and he preached this years before I ever got saved, and, and he's been preaching it ever since. He said, the joy and the thrill of winning one soul to Jesus Christ far exceeds that moment, even when he got that gold medal on the cross. And if you've never won a soul to Christ, I want to encourage you to do that. Let's not, it's going to take some breaking on our part. We've got to be willing to say, God, I want to do what you want me to do. And then, of course, prayer. We can pray. And, I, and painfully, prayer is, 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 I think, tragically overlooked. And uh, really, the greatest possible thing that you could do for, for myself or any missionary anywhere is pray for them. And, and your prayers will do more than all the money in the universe. And I want to, how desperately we need to get back to realizing the supremacy of prayer. The Bible focuses and majors on prayer. It's got to be the number one priority in our lives. And until it is the number one priority in our lives, we're, all, we're going to be in a whole heap of trouble. And, 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 but it's, you know, his promises are still true. If my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face, and <laughs> I love the ink that's bad as it, but God wants to hear our prayers. And it's amazing to think the creator of the universe, the king of kings, wants to have a personal relationship with us. He wants to be our father. He wants to have a father-son relationship. And he's better than the best human father anybody could ever want or have. 
And he wants to have that kind of a relationship with us. He loves us. He cares. And, 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 and how important, you know, the 1790s, our country, percentage-wise, was in a far greater decadence culturally than it is right now in 2022. And God's people set themselves to prayer. And pastors all over this country began to really fast and pray and seek the face of the Lord. And God answered. God answered with 50 years of spiritual awakening in our country. And just like Brother Herbert preached yesterday morning, there is hope for America yet. But we've got to get back to our prayer closets. We've got to get back to knowing what it is to meet with God. And then, of course, give. (laughs) And in a conference like this, I almost feel negligent if we don't touch the theme of giving and and finances. You can't serve God and money, but you can't serve God without money either. And I think God understands that the most sensitive nerve in the human body, okay, is the nerve between our wallet and our heart, or between our purse and our heart. Okay, money is a sensitive subject, even to the very best of Christians. But there's more in this book about money and finances than the other top ten subjects you could all put together. And it's going to take some breaking. It's going to take some commitments. It's going to take some people saying, I'm willing to spend time in prayer. It's going to take people saying, I'm willing to take the gospel. It's going to take, it it may take us being willing to, to make some sacrifices for the Lord Jesus. Let's, let's go over to 2 Corinthians, if we could. And we have two wonderful chapters here on money and finances. And, and of course, I hope we understand it's all got to start with the tithe, right? God says, bring all the tithes into the storehouse that there may be meat in mine house. And obviously the tithe is to take care of your pastor. What a wonderful, pa- I hope you'll appreciate what a wonderful pastor you have and how much he loves you and cares and, and, and take good care of a pastor. That's what the tithe is all about, taking care of your pastor, taking care of the house of God and the things of God, the storehouse. I remember I, I've been tithing now for years, but for years I've battled, where do I tithe? Do I tithe to my sending church as a missionary or to tithe the church where I'm serving? And, and I, I, I struggled with that. And so finally, a few years ago, I said, well, why don't I just double tithe? I mean, I can't outgive God. He won't be anybody's debtor. And I understand there's a difference between personal and ministry funds and all that. But, I, I, you know, it took some breaking on my part, too, right? And, but by the grace of God, it's amazing how he's able to take care of us. And, he, and he, wow, what wonderful promises he gives us and about opening the windows of heaven and, and pouring out blessing where there's not even going to be room enough to receive it. J.C. Penney was going about ready to get bankruptcy. He had a little store. And he went to his pastor and said, Pastor, what should I do? I don't know what to do. Pastor said, are you tithing? He said, no. Pastor, well, start tithing. Come back and see me in 30 days. He came back 30 days later. He said, Pastor, I can't explain this. I'm following the same business principles. But now my business is doing so well, I need wisdom to know where to start another store. <laughs> and J.C. Penney stores all over our country. And, and God wants to do great things with each of our lives. And 2 Corinthians 8 and verse 1, he says, Moreover, brethren, do you what of the grace of God bestowed on the churches, how that in a great trial of the abundance of their joy and their deep poverty. You know, there is a great joy in giving. You ever heard of Bill Lear? 
Lear jets, a lot of other things. The fellow was a Christian, and he, he got so depressed that he checked himself into a mental hospital for depression, and he heard preaching on giving, and he checked himself out of the hospital, went down to the bank, drew out $40,000 in $100 bills, and he went to the poorest section of the town there where he was, started knocking on doors and passing out $100 bills. At the end of the night, he had so much joy in his heart, he never had to go back to that mental institution again. And oh, if we could learn what it is, the joy, the joy of giving. Look at verse 8. I speak not by command, by occasion of the forwardness, and to prove the sincerity of your love. You see, the tithe is all about obedience. The tithe is a debt that we owe. But when he talks here about our giving or world missions, you know that number that you're going to put on that faith promise card, uh, that's one of the most important decisions you're going to make all year long, if not the most important. And that will, will, will result in the eternity of many people coming to the Lord Jesus as their Savior. But he says it's to prove the sincerity of your love. You see, it's, it, that, when Mary broke that alabaster box on the Lord Jesus, it was all praise and worship and adoration. And, 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 and how much do you love the Lord Jesus? How much does he mean to you? You see, uh, that's uh, what, what, you, you know, I, I almost hate to say it because our Heavenly Father doesn't have any weaknesses, theological weaknesses, okay? Uh, but if he has any weakness in the sense of, like some ladies have a weakness for flowers or chocolates or something like that, or some men have a weakness for hunting or fishing or sports or some kind of food, if our Heavenly Father, and he doesn't have any weaknesses, okay, but if our Father has any weakness, his weakness is praise and worship and adoration, okay? And everything that you can give above and beyond your tithe is pure praise and worship and adoration. And then look, look what he says here. I think he recognizes his weakness. Let's go to chapter 9 and verse 8. And he tells us here, and God is able to make all grace abound toward that ye always, having all sufficiency in all things, may abound to every good work. You know, people tend to exaggerate things, but God doesn't exaggerate. And when God uses the word all, every, abound, uh, he really means it. And I think in that sense, he recognizes his weakness. And look at this promise. God is able to make all grace abound towards you, that ye always, having all sufficiency in all things, may abound to every good work. You know, God loves you, and God cares, and it's, it's bigger than us. It'd be a great privilege and honor to be one of your missionaries and to represent you there in Mexico, but it's not about us. There are people all over the world, missionaries, that whatever you do as far as your faith promise commitments, it's, 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 it's about him, it's about the cross, it's about a world going to hell that needs to be saved. And I want to encourage us tonight in that regard. Let's look how Paul ends, and we'll have to end here too in verse 15. Thanks be unto God for his unspeakable gift. What is God's unspeakable gift? That's the Lord Jesus, isn't it? That's the cross. And you see, Paul is saying, he ends these great two chapters about money and finances and giving by saying it's really not about money. <laughs> it's really not about money. It's about you and your relationship with him. It's about the cross. It's about, a, it's about the purpose of the cross. It's about a world going to hell that needs to be saved. You know, for us, that cross was 2,000 years ago. 
But for our Father in heaven, it was just like yesterday. You know, he's not limited by time like we're limited by time. What is his name? He is the I am that I am, right? He's not the I am that I was. He's not the I am that I will be. He's the I am that I am. He's living the everlasting present indicative tense. And for him, there is no time. And we understand the concept. He's at every place at the same time, right? He's here tonight, and he's in Africa, and he's in China. He's every place at the same time. But he's not only in every place at the same time, he's in every time at the same time. He's the I am that I am. And so right now, he's looking at your heart. He's very interested in this missions conference and the decisions that you're going to make. But at the very time tonight, he's right here watching your heart. He's watching the day of our birth. And at the same time, he's here watching our heart tonight and watching the day of our birth. He's watching the day of our death. (laughs) You see, he's not limited by time. We're limited by time. For us, the cross was 2,000 years ago. But for our father, it was just like yesterday. And his heart is still totally and completely consumed with the cross and the purpose of it. And I'm just going to end with a story I heard about two young men that were involved in a war. They fought in the same unit in the same battles. And, and you get very close to somebody in that kind of situation. And uh, they would talk as they would have opportunity. And the one young man came from a, a wealthy family. And he would talk a lot about his dad. He was the only son of his father. His mother had died. And, and he would talk a lot about his dad. And the other fellow came from a very poor family, just a, just a regular average family. And in the providence of God, the young man that grew up in the wealthy family was killed in the war. And the the young man that came from the normal family died uh, or was able to survive the war. After the war, after he got out of the service, he tried to find the dad of that, uh, his good friend there, to try to give him some consolation, to try to help him to maybe understand a little bit more about how uh, how his son had died. And uh, he got a bus ticket and went to the town and found the house and got up to the house and found that the father had actually died that very week. And so, of course, he was, he was let down. But he found the next day there was going to be an auction. They were going to auction off the various things and possessions of the father. And, and he thought, you know, if I could just find some kind of a remembrance of my good friend that died next to me there in the war... He said, so he, he stayed the night, and he, next morning he went over to the house to try to look over some of the things, and he found a little portrait of his good friend there that died next to him in the war, and he said, you know, if I could just buy that little portrait. And so he got all the money he could possibly get together, and, and uh, when the auction opened, and of course a lot of people had come from quite a distance, and uh, they were there to buy the lands and the houses and the furniture and the vehicles and things, but the first thing that came up for auction was the portrait. And, and he thought, wow. And so he made a bid, and somebody else made a bid. And he, the last little penny he could get together, he made his final last bid. And by the grace of God, he was able to, to buy that portrait. And when the sale was complete, the auctioneer said, that'll close our auction for tonight. Well, the people were already complaining because they weren't interested in that. <laughs> now they were complaining even more. But the auctioneer said, no, we need to go by the will of the Father. And the will of the Father was, he that gets the Son gets everything. And I wonder if we might just connect tonight with our Heavenly Father, afresh and anew. You see, it's not really about money. It's really about the cross. It's about what he did for us and the purpose of it. He's still just totally consumed with that. And just like Maria or that lady broke that alabaster, I don't think God is expecting anybody maybe to make quite so much of a sacrifice 
But I think he's calling attention to the fact that he wants our heart and he wants our life. And, and we've got to be willing to come to that place where we're willing to be broken, we're willing to make that sacrifice, whatever sacrifice is necessary, that commitment to say, I'll go, I'll pray, and I'll give. And we all then need to do our part so that, so that people will come to the Lord Jesus. And let's have our heads bowed and our eyes closed, if you would. Can I ask you to stand to your feet? And let me pray. Our Father, thank you for your truth. And, 